Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. We are officially eight days out from Resurrection Sunday. And today I wanted to kind of look at some of the the happenings in Scripture right around that time. But also I feel like I have something that's uh, maybe like a prophetic word or a message for the house. And even looking at it, I think it'll kind of come out in the next few weeks. Um, Not like a rerun, but I just feel like it's something that we'll be adding to this this message of the Lord um, encouraging people to hope, to hope profoundly, to have expectation that rests and stays in the goodness of God to be manifested in the world and even on your own behalf. And I believe that that hopeful thinking is actually profoundly biblical. And um, there's a way it can be grounded. And so, but today I want to talk about this incredible hope, you know, eight days out of the resurrection, some 1,993-ish years ago, the disciples had, had went through the worst trauma of their life, absolute worst thing they had ever experienced, and they did not see it coming. We can read the Bible. If, if you've been a Christian for even a few months or a year, when you've, you've read the story, you get to the point where the more you read the story, the more you read the scriptures, for me anyways, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we start getting towards the halfway point, when we start getting towards the end, I start to feel nervous because I know what's coming. Something super traumatic. You know, he's going to lay himself down for us. Um, And it's not, while I would say it is true that the disciples were not the sharpest knives in the drawer, uh, also, in other words, they were just normal people like any of us, but it's also true that they had no clue in real time what was about to happen in their midst. They had no clue. They were literally arguing who was going to be the greatest, who was going to sit on his right or left. They, they had these, this picture of Jesus being exalted in such a way that he was going to be the ruler of the free world, the rightful king of Israel, taking his place, throwing the Roman military out of their land, you know, this messianic king that was going to do, do incredible things where he had his eyes set on, on something far greater, you know, to give himself for all of mankind. So when he's getting arrested and he's not arguing back, they're literally arguing in Luke 9, and when Samaritan cities won't let him come stay there, they say, hey, would you like us to call down fire from heaven? You know, These, these fellows are, are walking in a level of confidence to manifest power. They think they're on a victory march into something incredible. To which Jesus kind of slightly rebukes them. He says, the Son of Man didn't manifest to destroy men's lives, but to save them, right? And they don't understand that he's going to lay it all down, you know. So they are are shocked. Now, obviously, what we covered last week, you know, the resurrection happens. And there's a whole other level of shock that hits over the entire world. You know what I'm saying? And it's brilliant shock, but it's still shock. Earthquakes. There's an earthquake on Resurrection Sunday. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that's happening. 
Jesus starts visiting his guys. Jesus visits his guys like we talked about last week in like John 20 and shows up and, and one of the disciples out of the 11 left wasn't there, Thomas, which has been become known and, and, and termed the name of Doubting Thomas, right, later on. Um, but eight days later, Jesus comes back on the same day, on the first day of the week. And this time, Thomas is there in John 20. And Jesus, knowing the things Thomas had said while he was absent, it's like, if I don't see his hands and his feet, if I don't touch his side, I won't believe, knows that and addresses Thomas directly to himself. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. And he, and, he, and he brings him into a place of belief, which is absolutely brilliant. But it's interesting, this, even as John in the book of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, it's like Jesus, the apostles are started, they're coming back to this gathering together on the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, and Jesus is starting to, vi- now he's back to back showing up where they're at, as if he's instituting this new day. Now, it's not something to get religious, like, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, and like, oh, it's got to be Saturday, got to be the Sabbath, or, you know, or it's got to be Sunday, you know, I, I'm not saying that, but, but he is making a point that he's in their gathering, he's setting something completely new. The old thing has passed, and now there's something new, now it springs forth, will you not perceive it? You know what I mean? He's, he's starting something different. And if you can even see it, if you look at creation, man was created on the sixth day, Right? Um, however you, you view that in Genesis, but on the seventh day of creation, it's on the sixth day is when man was made, you know, created. But then on the seventh day was, it says, the Lord rested from his work, you know. And it's this beautiful picture that, like, mankind, humanity is created on the sixth day, so his first day, air quotes, at work in the family business was the seventh day, was the Sabbath. And so he literally starting off, all right, showing up to work on the first day, like, hey, what's going on? Hey, today's the weekend. <laughs> okay, so what do we do? We, we rest on the week. We, went, we rest on the Sabbath. It's created for you. And there's this pr- prophetic picture of, of this creation that's happened over these six-day period and then man entering into it and, and on the first day being active, stepping into the rest of God before anything else happens. You know what I mean? And so now Jesus is showing up and he's starting something on the first day of the week, he's like, hey, we've stepped out of this rest because I myself have actually finished this work on your behalf. And now the first day of the week, we're actually just connecting. We're starting off in fellowship. And he's showing up to the meetings. He's showing up to their group. And he does it a whole lot more. He does it with Paul. He does it with uh, John. You know, there's several different verses about it or whatever. But I, I love this time of year and I love what's going on because... Everything in the disciples' minds is trying to catch up to what he's done. Just like Jesus said, the Spirit would come and he would bring, he would bring into your minds and your understanding all the things that I spoke to you, right? He was telling him them, like, I've been talking with you guys for three years straight, and all of this stuff's going to be awakening in your, in your understanding after I finish my course. And it's so beautiful. And you have all these disciples and apostles, and even apostles to come like Paul, then end up stepping, stepping into this understanding that like, oh my goodness, when he breathed his last breath, Nicodemus is catching it, when he breathes his last breath, 
and the veil is torn from top to bottom. When he, when he says his last, uh, forgive them, they don't know. And when he says, it is done, it is finished, he's claiming completion of something. You know, he's claiming complete completion of the work of God. And now we're in a time of rest and learning by faith to step into accepting everything that he's done for us. And it's a complete rewiring of the mind that these guys are going through on a regular basis where they're thinking, oh my gosh. Instead of this eschatology even that's just fearful of, oh, the last days of the fire and brimstone and this, this darkness to come, which is the root of all fear and anxiety, which literally comes from the poisonous tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, which causes a pressure to be on your life all the time. There's a hopeful view of God and the future that says, hey, it's bright. You know, the, the, the refrigerator scripture of Jeremiah 29, 11, like, like I know the thoughts I think and the plans that I have for you, they're actually for hope and for your future. Amen. He's speaking that to a, to a people that's in the judgment, being carried away captive in Babylon, but he's saying, hey, but for those who hear my voice, like, I got good for you. And it's just like it was saying, it comes down to hearing the voice of the Lord and following through on what he has. This place is plastic compared to the eternal realm which we are called to manifest. It truly is like the matrix, a lesser version of reality that has been framed in, it says in Hebrews 11, by the word of God. In other words, it's actually... It's actually less real than the eternal realm, which is unseen, which, cre which the creator actually from his domain created this lesser realm. In order for him to manifest himself to all of his creation and flip the fall in full, complete reversal on its head, manifesting heaven on the earth. That just like it said in the, uh, in the book of Genesis about Eden, that this would actually be fruitful and multiply and it would cover the whole earth again as it was always supposed to be. You know? And we're the agents of that reality. You know? And so here you have these disciples, like, wait a second, he said it is finished. He said it is done. This wasn't a failure. This was a victory. He's actually planned for this to happen the entire time. He meant for this to go the direction it went. And there they are with those wheels just a-turning, man. Just turning and turning, thinking like, oh my gosh. What if the whole time he talked about the kingdom of heaven being at hand... He actually meant what he said. Like it's here, it is now, it is at hand, and the violent lay, lay hold of this. Those who, who won't accept anything less will grab right on into it and manifest it in this world because it's real. It's the real thing. And eight days later, they're still having their minds blown with him showing up. John 21 is a fun one because... It says Jesus showed himself to the, to the disciples. I mean, it showed him, he showed himself several times for over a month to them and many others, let alone all the people that were resurrected and popped out of their graves, you know, um, in Matthew 27. But it's like he shows himself again to the disciples in the Sea of Tiberias, and it says, and in this way he showed himself. He manifested himself in a very interesting way. And it says... Um, Simon Peter and Thomas, called the twin. See, they got a different nickname than him, for him. Um, Nathaniel of Cana, Galilee, the sons of Zeb Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others and disciples were actually gathering together, and Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, to which they all said, well, we're going to go with you. So here's seven, 
seven of the guys going out in a boat to fish back to their uh, nine to five, if you will. It wasn't nine to five because they were out all night, but you know. But it says they went out immediately in the boat and that night they didn't catch anything. And um, I can imagine these guys have been with Jesus for, you know, three years-ish and they're out fishing and as much as his words are ringing into them and saying, hey, it's better for you that I go away because then I'll really truly be with you on the inside and all these things, there's still a pain in the heart of like missing him being around all the time, physically. But Jesus' words are ultimately true and so you know that it is better that he still is there, but it's by the spirit that you must recognize this truth. It's not by the flesh, you know? And it's, that's fully real for us to this very day. The level they walked around with him, we are walking around with him in a greater measure. And I know that crashes against the mind like, nah. But the reality is it is true and it has to be recognized by the Spirit. It's interesting. He showed himself to them in this way, right? In John 21, the very opening part of the story. But Peter, you know, he's sitting there on the fishing boat catching nothing, which wasn't totally uncommon. And if you can see this like a movie, he can have a flashback of, of the good old days when Jesus first came around, right? Like Luke chapter five, remember that story? When he was just starting to get to know the Lord. But Jesus had showed up, he had called the, the guys to himself, these young, this young crew, and there was such a crowd that was gathering around him that in order to speak, he's like, yo, Peter, because I think they had multiple ships because of the fishing company that he owned. Like, let, let's get in the boat and push off of the water a little bit because they're crowding and I can't speak. And that gave him a little bit of a, a, a little bit of space or a barrier, whatever you want to call it, to where he could actually sit there and actually speak and nobody could press in, in on him constantly. Because like, yeah, he wanted to meet people's needs. He wanted to touch people. But it's like, hey, the eternal words of heaven were coming out of this human being, God embodied. And he wanted them, he wanted to sow that seed. So he's like, hey, they're crushing me. Like, let's push out into your boat and I'll speak from the boat in Luke 5. And I imagine Peter reminiscing on the, the air quotes, good old days when they were together like that, when he was first meeting him. And um, he got, you know, Jesus gets into one of the boats at Simon's and puts out the land, puts, puts out a little bit from the land as it, as it says in Luke 5, verse 3. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So he created a little space in order to get his words released. But it says when he had stopped speaking in Luke 5, 4, when I guess meeting adjourned, um, he said to Simon, hey, like, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, right? And Simon answered him and said, hey, master, we've, we've toiled. Like, we've been, we've been working, but we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, like, hey, I'm kind of a professional fisherman. You're some sort of rabbi with a carpenter trade or whatever. I don't know what you are. You know what I mean? But it's like, it doesn't really work like that. But I'll, I'll, nevertheless, I think this is a good key word for today. Nevertheless, Luke 5, 5, at your word, I'll let the net down. So he's literally telling him, hey, this isn't going to work. However, since you've asked, I'll do it. Almost to like show you. Okay, this, 
we're on a field trip today. I'll show you how we do the fishing thing at night. You know what I mean? You know. It says, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they filled both boats and the boats actually started sinking. It's like, dang, what are you, what kind of fishes are you? They're like swimming down, pulling your, oh, you know, you're freaking out. You know, just try not to think about this like a little Bible story on TV or something like this. But like the level of supernatural, like this is strange. They're like pulling, they're pulling our boats under the water. Big ones, you know. In this next, you know, flash forward to, you know, eight days out, you know, right after resurrection, maybe a few days after that, I don't know, when they're fishing together, the seven of them, and this seven grown men in a boat, it can't be that small. You know what I mean? So this is a similar scenario, but they're out there getting pulled up. They're getting pulled underwater by fish. It's like, is it a whale? Would you, would you hook into something big? It's a marlin, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know about that stuff. But it's like they're getting pulled under, and it's obviously supernatural, but of course Peter freaks out, you know, falls down at Jesus' face, feet, and he's like, I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man. It, tr- it triggered shame in him. It triggered a feeling of unworthiness. It triggered all this negativity, which Jesus knew who he was and didn't disqualify him. I'm sinful. Depart from me. I'm a sinner. Like, hey man, I'm not worthy to even be around you. And he said, it's okay. You're going to catch people. You're going to catch men. You're going to draw people in. You know, not as a trap, but you're going to pull them out of this darkness into light. And it's just like, man, he's manifesting shame and disqualification he hasn't said the sinner's prayer. He's not even trying to. He's just saying, hey, I don't, I'm not worthy to be around you. And he's popping that bubble from the jump. Yeah. From the jump start. <laughs> he don't like it. There's no condemnation in Christ. You know, that's interesting. It's an interesting uh, thing to say. But the eternal word of God says it in Romans 8.1. Yeah. There's not. If there is condemnation, it's not actually coming from him. It's in an old covenant. It's not in this religion that is Jesus Christ. It's something different. That's, that's a, you know, repentance doesn't come because you're condemned and you're ashamed of yourself. It comes because of the kindness of God and you recognize something and you come alive and you have a turn, a change. That's what repentance really means. You, you literally walk the different way and realize, oh, I, I, you mean I've been qualified and I didn't deserve it? Yeah. Yeah, so come follow me instead of following the old way. Like, deal. You know, so these are Simon's memories, and here he is fishing on the boat with his guys. Doesn't know what to do. Probably feeling bummed out because he used to be there with them. You know what I'm saying? And that's a flashback from a few years ago. But it says somebody shows up. This is the way Jesus appeared to him in this way. In the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was him. So he was far enough not to fully be recognized, which we obviously know on on Resurrection Sunday, he showed up to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and and they didn't recognize him. You know what I mean? So he he had the ability to to appear in a way that they did not recognize him by the flesh because he was teaching them to recognize him by the Spirit. And, And that's written. Even though we've known him by the flesh, we know him thus no longer and we judge no man according to the flesh. You know, so, you know, there's this there's this reality. But on the morning, Jesus stands on the shore and shouts out to them, Children, do you have any food? Like, 
It's really, it's not children like little, 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 you know, toddlers or kids. It's like slang. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's basically like a term of endearment. It'd be like what we were on the shore saying, hey, hey, did you boys catch anything? You boys catch anything tonight we could eat? Like that, you boys. Well, when I looked at the word boys, it means they must have been boys. What is a boy? It is a, a child, a male child. Hmm. The translation must be... Uh... No, yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, you kids. Hey, hey, little buddies. Did you little cute little buddies catch anything tonight? You know, it ain't like that. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, boys, you catch anything tonight? Anyway, so whatever. <laughs> you guys catch any food? They're like, nah. Cast the net on the other side of the boat. Gives them advice. Nobody likes a Monday morning quarterback. You know what I mean? You ain't throwing it right, boy. You got to put your elbows like, man, just leave me alone. You know what I mean? Um, they're prof we're professionals. You boys catch anything? We'll, we'll cast it on the other side and you'll find some. Hey, we're professionals. That's a, dumb, that's a really dumb uh, strategy, by the way. The boat, even if it's a large boat and it's eight feet across or whatever it is, it ain't, <laughs> there ain't a bunch of pack of fish swimming around on one side and not the other. And if they are, they swam under the wrong, you know what I mean? Like this doesn't make any type of sense, but it says they did it. Maybe they were trying to be polite. I don't know what happened. But it says in the case of the multitude, uh, so they cast it and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. They're like, oh snap, it's happened. And what's Peter's mind go directly to? Yeah, Luke 5. He's like, huh. He's looking at that guy with, the, with, the, with his hood on on the beach. And a little fire, he's cooking a little fire. You boy catch anything? He's like, oh man. That ain't some, you know, old redneck on Lake Palestine, you know, Lake Tyler shouting at you. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Peter's like, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Which is so funny. Oh, it says, I'm sorry. When it, it says, John said, it's him. Well, he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, which is so hilarious. He loses the identity for who he is to God. The disciple, John says, hey, it's him. And it says, when Peter um, heard that it was the Lord, which I would imagine he, he thought it too. He's probably like, John, you made it look like you're the only one that recognized him. I recognized him too. You know, gosh, so prideful, John. Uh, you know, maybe not. But when, Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put up on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. He jumped into the water and starts paddling over. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land. They were about 200 cubits dragging the net with the fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire and coals and some fish that was already laid on. He already had a couple fish for them, for them out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, come, come throw you some more on here with me. Let's eat a little bit. And they're just like, oh man, you know. He said, and then Jesus says, he says, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. So Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land um, full of large fish. So he, he, it's funny, he swam up to them to run up to them, but then they ended up getting there about the same time. So you're all wet for no reason. 
He's like, bring some fish. And, and so he stopped chasing them down and he went and helped them drag the fish. You know, these guys are just nervous. They're rattled. They're just like, you know what I mean? They're not acting normal. You know, it's hilarious. And Jesus says, yeah, come eat some breakfast. There's 153 fish. that There, there were so many. The nets, um, but the net wasn't actually broken. The team had to pull it in. Jesus says, come eat some breakfast, but none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Interesting that it has written there. You know. He's coming in a way, in a form that they had not seen. He was teaching them something. You want to recognize me, you must do it by the Spirit. You guys have been spoiled. And he told, he told Thomas this. All right, Thomas, you want to see? You see. But blessed those who believe and that have not seen. He's telling the disciples this, and he's showing them something, just like the road to Emmaus. It's like, you must recognize me by the Spirit. You've been spoiled a little bit. Now, we think spoiled, but they went through absolute trauma, and, and even more after this probably, but not to that level. Um, but it was like, hey, everything you thought was failure was a victory. You've seen me, but I'm far more than the Jewish-looking guy out of Nazareth that you're used to seeing. I'm something far greater than this. You, you, you dig? You know, like Nicodemus. No one has ascended, but he who descended. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven and He's with you right now. Uh, yes, God is omnipresent. Yes, God is embodied simultaneously. And, you know, minds are being blown by this cosmic deity who is also Father and Son, who is God, um, but is also the Word of God, but the Word of God was also with God in the beginning and was God also. And, and, and so there goes the, 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 the interesting way, you know, these guys' minds are being rewired. And they're sitting down having breakfast with them on the beach, giving them a lesson. Some of you will know the story. Jesus came and took bread and he gave it to them for the breakfast. And likewise, the fish, so very similar to their dealings with him before, passing that food around. Just like when he multiplied it to thousands of people. So here he is doing his deal again. What they're used to him doing with them. Feeding them. Hanging out with them. And um, it says this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. So they ate breakfast. And Jesus actually starts to kind of front Simon Peter. Simon. Son of Jonah. Do you, do you love me? more than the other 10 guys here, you know. Which you also have to, if you want to back it up, maybe that's why John takes a little, takes a little shots at him. Well, you know, John, I beat, I beat Peter to the, to the tomb by foot because I'm faster than he is. And I recognized Jesus on the beach before Peter did. Then he got in the water, but it's because I recognized him first. Anyways, but he's like, do you, do, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the rest of these guys? But when Jesus was telling the disciples, hey, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to run away. Peter stood up and was like, hey, they might, but I'm not. I'm willing to die with you. I'm down. I got a sword and I'm ready to fight. And it's just not going to happen on my watch. And it's like, yeah, you will. <laughs> you'll deny me three. You'll, you'll deny me multiple times, as a matter of fact before the dang rooster crows, to which he's like, okay, think what you want. Think what you want. Yeah. 
So obviously he's, he's talking like this, and now he's like, hey, you still think you love me more than everybody else? <laughs> I just, I love it. I'm not like a, a, you know, I told you so type of guy, but I think it's just really interesting because that's, that's not what's happening here. But the lesson is very similar to Luke 5. I'm on clean lips. I, I'm not worthy to be around you. I'm, I'm dirty, man. I can't, you can't be connected. Hey, you're going to catch men. You're going to be a fisher of men. Like kind of like, I've chosen you. I'll be the one who judges who's qualified and who's not. Catch it? And um, so here he is. He's asking him, hey, do you love me? He says, yes, you know that I love you. All right, feed my lambs. And he asked him a second time, do you love me? You know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. He asked him a third time, do you love me? Can you? He's just sitting there just drilling him, dude, in front of the guys, which is so great. said, Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And so it's interesting. It's so interesting. Peter is going through something with the Lord where he's processing everything. He's learning to recognize him by the Spirit. He's even seeing something Jesus did as this, that they perceived as the worst traumatic plane crash and failure of all time. <gasps> Being it is finished and he is one. Nicodemus, if I lift up that snake on the pole like, like uh, you know, like Moses did, and you look at him, I'll draw him into myself, I will cleanse mankind, I will heal mankind. They're all putting all this stuff back together. But then there's this level of pride and arrogance and false humility that's been inside of Peter that he did not know that he was so afraid. He did not know he had fear within him because he thought he was just courageous as a lion until the temperature got really, really hot and Jesus got arrested. And he even tried to fight for him, and Jesus healed the man's ear. And he even tried to follow him to the trial, and he tried to follow him where he was going. But after a while, there was a little girl saying, hey, he's one of them. I can tell by his accent. You know what I mean? And then he's cursing and cussing and saying, I don't bleep and know him. You know, denying him. He's becoming somebody he's not because he's realizing there was fear in his heart and an, and an, and an ability um, to take on an identity that was not his true identity in order to self-protect. And he's had kind of come to grips with all this and feel the shame and the utter disappointment of, of, his, of his failure of letting down the person that he loves more than anybody. And he does. He's like, you know me. You know that I love you. You know I'm down. And he's like, okay. Well, tend to my sheep. Feed people. Feed my sheep. Lead. lead. Be a leader. And Jesus, just like he was in the first time in the boat, is like, hey, buddy, bring it to mind. I knew that you had all this in your heart and that you would sell me out worse than anybody else in the group. Didn't I tell you? But guess what? That didn't disqualify you. And he's not doing it to shame him. He's, he's telling him, he's like, I knew it was all in your heart. So guess what? I used it so that you would grow in understanding and the understanding is how much I love you, value you, and have covered you, and, and that I have position, I have function for you in the world. Yeah. I have fruit for you to bear. I told you I was going to make you fisher a man. You thought you were too dirty. I said no. Now I'm pulling the same magic trick of yoking up a bunch of fish. Don't get hung up on words, but I'm pulling the same type of trick 
And next thing you know, the same thing is in your heart. And guess what? I'm, I'm purposely triggering you. We have this history and I meant to trigger it to show you, hey, I knew this was going to happen, but I want you to know you're not disqualified. You were called to represent. Saul of Tarsus. He's like, I was the chief of sinners. I was killing, persecuting Christians. You know what I'm saying? And now he's like, there is no condemnation. You can't feel condemned about what you did. It's like, well, if anybody should, you should, Saul. Well, first of all, my name's Paul now. And I was in an, I was in an identity driven by fear. I did not know who I was because I did not know him. But when I saw him, I realized I was blind. And now I realize that he picked me, set me apart from my mother's womb. Because he knew how crooked and rotten I was. And my life is a message that there's not to be condemnation. He doesn't disqualify you. But I, if, you're, if she was caught in adultery, neither do I. Go sin no more. I don't disqualify you. I don't condemn you. It's like, what? Somehow the, the, and the, the bipolar snake poison of the knowledge of good and evil has still gotten into more people God, view God this way. And I, it just, if you read the Bible like a simple person, it's, like, it's kind of hard to see that because Jesus is constantly demonstrating something different. You know, constantly. And his lessons, man, and, and I kind of meant this today. I just kind of wanted to read this with our house. I do, I do feel like I have a word of the Lord for the house, but I might just develop it for the next, um, because I felt like this went into a direction maybe I didn't fully intend. But he's like, listen, man, Peter is the one who's literally come and writing things like 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us in glory and virtue. Through the, that's a real word sandwich right there. But what he's saying, by knowing him, when you truly know him through knowledge of him, through knowing what he is, who, he's, who he is, what he's like, you understand that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's not held anything back. He won. He qualified. And it is our gift to, to, to yoke with him, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light, and to follow through with him in this life of doing the same things that he did. Yeah, it's true. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, also Peter. John Mark wrote it, but it's Peter's story. We know that all things, oh, I'm sorry. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Peter's like, hey, it's already been given you. Disqualification is, is in our minds and on our end. It is never on his end. He's done something eternal. I think something that fits better with this message, because I took it a different direction, is, is, is Romans 8, 28. We know that, in, that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Who's all, who's everybody? Amen. And that's Saul of Tarsus. That's Saul bin Laden writing that under the name Paul. That's a terrorist writing that. That was persecuting Jesus. You know what I mean? All things work to good, work for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. In other words, like Peter even is coming to that same revelation that Paul's got going on, that like, man, even my failure in the moment wasn't a failure. The failure of my heart to sell him out, God was actually using that to show me, hey, there's fear within your heart that I want you free of. You don't even know that it's there. 
I'm going to allow you to go through a hot situation with me to where it will manifest. But it's just like the boat when we caught all the fish the first time. Well, I'm unclean. Like, hey, this is not to disqualify you. This is so that you understand what's there. You deal with that level of pride that elevates yourself above everyone else because he did. Even if they all sell you out, I won't, you know. It's like we get so, we feel so disqualified as Christians and as believers. There's, there is no condemnation. You know, we feel like we miss the mark. We feel like we mess up. And it's not an excuse to live in sin. But what it is, if you're connecting to the source, if you're connecting to the Lord, there's heart-to-heart connection that happens between us and Him, just like has happened in the conversation on the beach by the fire with the fish and bread, that we realize there's an exchange that he wants to make with us. And I think Peter's actually realizing this. You didn't allow me to see this stuff so that you could disqualify me. You actually allowed me to see what was in my heart because you wanted to promote me to a higher level of authority. You wanted to entrust me with more. You were bringing me in this walk. The Lord is my shepherd. I, you know, I'm following you. I'm growing in you. You wanted to give me more. And so you allowed me to see what was actually taking up room so that, so that you could have the room. And it's brilliant. He was being kind to him. He wasn't calling him out. Another lesson. It's like, hey, this is the matrix. Hebrews 11. By faith we understand that the worlds, the planets, the cosmos, everything here was framed by the Word of God so that what, what we see was made by that which is unseen. There's an unseen realm, there's an unseen kingdom that is not of this world that we are called to represent, that we are called to be ambassadors of, that usher and to usher that reality into this world. And the way we do it is we actually see Him as He truly is and we, we connect our hope to the future that he has for this place. We don't hide. We're not ducking down, just buying canned goods or whatever else. There's a hopeful view of the purposes and plans of God. And in believing that, we usher that into this reality. And they're all learning it. Even the, the greatest failure of all time, what he feels like, a complete loser, is learning, hey, nothing matters. He's flashing back to Luke 5. We fished all night. We've actually toiled. We've like, we busted our tails to try to fish all night, to try to bring something in, trying to make money in those days. Nevertheless, at your word, he's learning what's valuable. The words of the Lord are more valuable than anything in this place, anything in this world, on this planet. It doesn't matter if you're striking... Uh, oil or finding gold diamonds or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. The word of the Lord creates the future. It releases the hopeful future in our life. And when we follow him, according to his word, we have everything we need. You know, Luke eleven thirty two, 32, like Jesus was saying this, like, don't worry and be afraid. Don't be controlled by fear. Like how are you going to be taken care of? But seek first the kingdom and all the things you need will be added unto you. And don't fear, little flock, it's his good pleasure. It's like, don't fear, don't fear. And by the way, don't be afraid no matter what, but trust him and follow him in all you do. Devote yourself to knowing his voice like a shepherd or a lamb that follows a shepherd. 
and recognize the voice of the shepherd and follows him. And he said it, John 10, my sheep know my voice. This is the point of the whole thing. And here Peter is coming to this reality. His voice is truly everything. I'll be at the right place at the right time. Everything pertaining to godliness and to this life, it has been released unto me in him through the knowledge of actually knowing him. And everything else is almost like a game compared to that. And the Lord uses it to make a mockery of what we consider of reality because he wants to usher in a different reality. And that's real. That's my point. Everything is right where you need it when you need it. Bill Gilchrist quote of the day, of the year. Um, the trials we go through are not to disqualify us. The fact that you go through something and then you feel bad about how you behaved or how you handled it means that you recognize that you could do better. A year ago, you might not have recognized, but done it and just lost your, lost your stuff and then just kept going out throughout the day and just, just change. You know what I mean? It's, it's a sign of growth, but, but true growth literally comes not only from recognizing, but heart to heart with the Lord. Like, okay, I don't want to lose my, what was the, well, I can't, I can't remember it now. But, you know, I saw some meme between me and Nicole about some parent saying, I, I like to wake up and be angry every single morning and lose my crap on my kids because they don't tie their shoes and it's time to go to school and you're making me late and all that stuff. I'm going to butcher the thing. I shouldn't have even used it. But, you know, it, it was a funny meme because it was relatable to, to some people probably. And, and uh, it's like I get so enraged by the time it's time to go take them to school. You're like, come on. You know what I mean? This guy, I mean, not me. And... And, but it was like, it's one of those things, it's like, hey, you recognize the, the areas where you're growing, where, where, where the nature of the Lord, maybe you'll fall short, but it's like when you, when you connect to the Lord in those moments, that's where you grow, man, by not staying there. That's what I hear. So, yeah. The trials we go through, the speed bumps, they're not actually meant to disqualify us. They're meant to promote us. They're, they're used in God to promote us if we walk through things relationally with him. Mm -hmm. And the last thing, fear distorts your identity. But I don't think that goes with the way the message went today. So, But it is very true. So yeah, it's fun. Well, I think it's the Orthodox Easter. I saw that on my iPhone. Was that today? I'm jealous of those guys sometimes. Those big fancy hats they wear, those big robes with all that gold, them things. Like, dang, dude. I see them Orthodox guys. It's like, man, you guys get the... I'm up here wearing a dang, you know, Old Navy or Gap or something. These guys are getting all decked out. But that'd be tough. Be tough to run into Jesus wearing dressed like that. And he's wearing clothes from the Gap. You take that, that, that big crazy looking robe off real quick. Ask me what I really think about it sometime. It's a, alrighty then. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. And that your word is true. And that you've qualified. And not disqualified. And that even all things we go through, they literally work for the good. Even what seems like a trial or a little bit of a mess. When we're connected into you. And we see from your perspective and we walk through relationally with you, it works out for good, for our promotion, for our growth, for our understanding. 
Lord, I thank you that there's no condemnation. And where even the enemies maybe tried to bring condemnation disguises your voice and you shame to control your people, I thank you for the light of understanding that that is not the way you lead, but you lead us into all truth and into light and understanding. And I thank you that you are taking limitations off people's minds and hearts in you and restoring the ability to actually hope and see you through a suspicious lens, but not suspicious that something's wrong, suspicious that I got a hunch God's actually trying to do some things to work out blessings and open incredible doors in my life because He's a good dad. Lord, we would see you as you truly are and manifest you everywhere we go as the good father. And that we, like Peter, we would be fishers of men. We would actually, by our life in you, inspire others to know you. Amen.